Well, this is the thing, right? Like the more you data you share, the better the system works. There's no getting around that, right? Yeah, the government's my health thing or whatever it was called, my my health thing mm-hmm. was. There's no question in my mind that that system will save lives. It absolutely will save lives. Having access to all the irrelevant information about a patient universally in every place you go to will save people's lives. And and conversely, not having it will kill people. Mm. Right? People will die that don't need to die. That said, I still completely understand and respect why people don't want to be a part of it. Yeah, definitely. Because after the whole census bullshit and now this, yeah, no, I don't trust the government. Sorry. Hey, guys. This uh, podcast today is sponsored by our friends at True Protein. You can head to trueprotein.com.au and if you use the code ADVF, you'll get 10% off there. Um, They have an awesome range. They've got all of your proteins and creatines and mass gainers, slow-release proteins, um, amino acids, um, basically everything you could want in a supplement range. They've got it. And myself, Tommy, Mac, all my team, uh, everyone at AdventureFit, we swear by True Protein. And uh, yeah, we love having them as a partner. So if you want to get the best supplements in town, uh, you can do so at an epic 10% off by visiting trueprotein.com.au and using the code ADVF. Also, this podcast is brought to you by AdventureFit Travel. Head to www.adventurefittravel.com and you can see everything that we have coming up for 2019. We have Mexico in Feb, Everest Base Camp in April, uh, Thailand is coming up, we have Indonesia is on the cards, Vietnam and Iceland to round out the year at this stage. So if you want to, uh, you want to come along and experience travel with exercise, mindfulness, and uh, all the best fun that you can ever imagine having, then you can do that by heading to www.adventurefittravel.com, use the code RADIO, and you'll get 10% off. Alrighty, here's the show. Now, before we do this, let's go over the ground rules. Rule number one, no touching of the hair or face. Welcome back to Adventure Fit Radio. Today we basically have uh, we have a great guest, but we've got a kind of uh, a guest co-host as well. So Tommy Sears in the house. Thanks uh, for having me, guys. <laughs> Thanks for having me back for my third or fourth time. I think, yeah, Bill, something like that. Something that Tommy's helped me uh, help me run this interview with uh, Gordon Young. So Gordon, you are an ethicist, I believe. That's me. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for coming down. Why don't you tell us, Gordon, a little bit about yourself and uh, what it is you do. Oh, no problems, man. So I teach professional ethics, work up at RMIT, doing some lecturing there and run a small consultancy off the side, uh, teaching ethics, which is 
you know, mainly with local governments at this point, but we're branching out to corporations and that sort of thing at the moment. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a pretty wide-ranging variety of interests you can fit within ethics, but mm-hmm. for the most part we do governance, decision-making methods, leadership training, that sort of stuff. Cool. Yeah. And it's not every day you meet an ethicist, let's be honest. <laughs> Definitely uh, the first time I've ever yeah, met one. Yeah, I haven't got any mates that are ethicists. Hopefully it's by a, the end of today, if the show a, goes well, I'll have one. It's a good title. Yeah. There's not many of us, no. actually. It took me a long time before I was even willing to pop it out in public. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, wow. I'm an ethicist. I mean, you go and study, study the Masters of Ethics, so that's my claim. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, you want to make sure you're any good at it, right? Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it took a few years practicing in the, you know, in the dark and the shadows, so to speak, <laughs> yeah. you know, make sure this is actually good. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I can, I can draw it back to one event. I decided to, you know... Um, double down a little bit or put my money where the mouth is and went out and did a conference talk for the Australian Association of Professional and Applied Ethics, which is a whole bunch of academics, basically. I figured mm-hmm. if, if I could get it past them, I'm doing all right. Yeah. And they didn't have any criticism for me, so I started calling myself an ethicist. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I was expecting maybe some sort of a, a greyish longer beard. Uh, Gandalf. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Gandalf. Or what's the weirder wizard? Uh, what starts with the name? Radagast. Radagast. Oh, Radagast. Oh, my yeah, God, maybe, man, maybe Radagast. Yeah, so, yeah, no, that's cool. So so where did it all start? Though? Like what got you into, into wanting to study ethics and uh, making it your career? Well, I used to work in environmental management. Still do on occasion. Go back and do that every now and then. But um I'm not a, not a scientist, I'm not an engineer, so more or less my job was actually taking the information to a business and trying to convince them to do something they knew they should have been doing but they didn't really want to do, mm-hmm. you know, or understanding why it wasn't, why it was they weren't doing that in the first place, usually cost, usually a bit of fear, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. and more or less just sort of realised after a few years of that that, um, yeah, that's ethics, really, it's mm-hmm. just understanding why they're not doing the thing already. So understanding their needs and wants, understanding, trying to articulate our position in a bit more detail, adjust it for them. Not dissimilar from marketing in some senses, if you know what yeah. I mean. But at the same time, it was about coming at it from a more fundamental basis, which meant that there was less barriers in place. You know, mm-hmm. Like if I go up to someone and they say, I don't believe in climate change, and I try and talk to them about the details, it's not going to happen. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You come at it from what motivates that belief. We can get a lot more traction that way. Gotcha. So I went off and I specialised, went and did a master's and uh, started practising. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what are some examples of some of these things that, um, like, like you say, you would go to businesses and you would say, okay, cool, let's let's look at what you do. This yeah. is obviously, it might be bad for the environment or that's probably, <laughs> if you've got any examples like that. It, so is it about trying to sell a better way to sustainably do things economically for, like do you, you're kind of like, you're kind of like selling them on a new system. Is that is that kind of sort of? I mean, in many ways, it's just helping them understand their own system. Right, so first thing we do inside the front door is sit them down and say, "All right, so what is it you want to do here?" Right, like every time I get the same answer walking inside the front door. You know, what's the point of the organisation? Well, to make profit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, man. But you could be out selling drugs. Yeah. You know, like there's a much higher profit margin than that. Yeah. Dedicated customer base. You name it. Right. Yeah. So, but what do you want to do with the profit? Right. You're doing it here for a reason. Lay it out for me. Shouldn't be hard, right? Mm. I mean, you know the answer. You're here, but trying to get a, a clear response to that sometimes can be tricky. So first things first, we articulate it, right? Like, what is it you want to achieve? How do you currently go about it? Like, what is your decision-making framework? Again, it's the sort of stuff that sounds simple and obvious on paper, but you actually mm. sit down with a person and run through that sort of thing. It took me about 15 years to get my head around my own. Yeah. But working through it, it then becomes a question, is the process you're using to get the goal you want actually going to work or not, right? And then we start bringing that down, adding some extra theory, 
some external ideas, get their uh, staff input in particular, tends to be a major factor with all of this. Mm-hmm. I mean, you would have seen this, right? Like the common thing we keep running into over and over again, have you ever worked in a job where you knew there was stuff was wrong? Like there's things could be done better, there was a problem coming up, but you don't tell the boss, do you? Mm. Why the hell would you tell the boss? You mm. know exactly what's going to happen if you tell the boss. Either nothing or you're going to get in trouble. Yeah. And that's the end of that. Yeah. Right? But the boss now doesn't know there's a problem. So you need to break down that barrier and improve some communication. So more often than not, we end up working. At the moment, we did a training session last week actually with some counsellors from local governments having that exact sort of conversation really. And it, it's amazing how much it takes people by surprise when you mention that. Mm. How do you get work in the industry, do you get approached by people or do you look at a company and go, I don't really like what I'm seeing. <laughs> Maybe I could step in here and guide them in a better way. Bit of both. I mean, as you say, you don't know any other ethicists just because there's <laughs> three in the entire state. Wow. <laughs> there's probably something like a dozen in the entire country. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> there's not that many. And most of them work in, acad- in sorry, more than a dozen in the country, but they all work in uh, universities for the most part. In a professional sense, maybe a dozen total. Um, so we're to say we're a niche industry is, to, is a bit of a understating. It's the smallest industry I've ever heard of. <laughs> yeah, no, it's ridiculous, right? Yeah. Does it actually exist? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's well, as close to not existing as possible. You're talking to it, right? Like <laughs> yeah. this is the entire industry. You are in the industry. <laughs> yeah, so we're starting out basically. It's very much a bit of a hard sell sometimes because you say ethics to your average punter and the usual reaction is either – well, the usual reaction is usually it's, um, oh, that sounds nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice one, hippie. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly, right? They, yeah. they think it's useless fluff or they think it's- um, Going to cost them money. Hardcore regulation. Yeah. Can't come in and tell me I'm a terrible person, right? Mm. We don't actually do that. You know, mm. that's not very constructive. But yeah, in terms of getting the work, the way we've, we've only been in operation for about 18 months, about 20 now, but either way, we've mainly found traction through exactly what you're talking about. Going out uh, the second approach, going and finding organisations where you know there's an existing problem. So I've done a bunch of work in local government before myself as an employee there and from a sort of policy position as well. And so I know what goes on there. And so I knew what questions to ask, who to talk to. And we ended up having a conversation with the MAV, which is like the professional association. And they have their code of ethics and that sort of thing. And they were the vector to get into the councils themselves. Trusted name, right? So, you know, banking sector and that's very th- various other organisations, it's pretty obvious at the moment that the banking sector's got some issues. And it's, you know, people theoretically would come looking for me if they knew I existed, but they don't, right? So I go looking for them. It's about getting the name out there at this point, really, more than anything else. You're like a bounty hunter of like uh, goodness. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, like, definitely. Like, yeah, dog the uh, dog the ethics hunter. Oh, the real. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take the compliment. <laughs> You've got the dog kind of hair approach going. Yeah. The little goatee's on its way. You know, I can see in maybe thirty years that two yeah, more tattoos and a bunch more kilos. But <laughs> um, yeah, right. So that's fascinating. So. Well, we um, we stumbled up, uh, upon you from um, from some of your um, talks on the ethics of artificial intelligence, and obviously, yeah, artificial man. intelligence is something that I've been you know fascinated by for a long time, and now, particularly right now, and I think right now is in this week right now because of about a fortnight ago, Elon Musk went on Joe Rogan Experience. Yes, um, yeah. uh, that was on. I went on his YouTube channel the other day. The second most viewed. Um, YouTube or, or um, podcast he's ever done was 7 million downloads. That was, you know, it's six months in or whatever. I think that was Neil deGrasse Tyson. Oh, yeah. And Elon Musk is up to 15 million in two weeks. <laughs> yeah, that wow. sounds about right. Yeah. So, so, man, that so one. It's, on, it's on everybody's... It's a growing, obviously, topic that, that's coming to... 
mainstream media and to you know people that are outside of you know the science fiction realm to a degree because sure. you know yeah. that's where it sat for a while. Absolutely. Um, but so, where do you sit with it? How much work have you done thinking about it? Do you, is it something that's like uh, obviously you want to get your thoughts on it all, but like. Is it something that you have done much work on or is it more of a philosophical idea, ideas that you want to throw out there when you spoke about it? Or I hate to say it, but it is mostly philosophical mm. in the sense that it's hard to do any real work on it because it yes. doesn't exist. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's speculative in the sense that we've got some ideas about how it could emerge. Like mm-hmm. Again, I'm not a scientist, but at the same time, I've done a fair bit of reading on the topic. My area in this is much more... The one consistent theme with any sort of artificial intelligence is people. Yeah, right? we're the ones that will end up making it, and we're the ones that are going to teach it in its early stages. And at some point, presumably, they ought to get outside of our control. That's kind of the point of the thing. But at the same time, we'll have been the ones that set it on its course. So, people is definitely my area. And so, you know, all of my discussions about artificial intelligence are very much in how it comes about, how we treat it, how we respond to it, and what that might mean in terms of how it treats us. Hmm. Fascinating. So, all right. First question, first question, uh, and I think the most relevant question to really right now, and, and that the people are going to have to start answering sooner rather than later, mm. is um, the unemployment side of things. Oh yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So obviously, there's a the theory of universal basic income. Yep. I've, you know, got some ideas on it and so forth. Where, well, let, let's let's say, well, right now, jobs are getting jobs are getting in place. So so. What are your what are your thoughts ethically about the fact that computers could take fifty percent of our jobs? How do you see that playing out? Mm. And yeah, yeah, the automation crisis. Yeah, that is. I'm really, really glad to see people are starting to. Um, that's entering the popular sort of stage because this really needs to be talked about because the political response is what's going to be crucial for this. Uh, not to put too fine a point on it, mate, we're screwed if we don't do something about this. Yeah. You've seen, you're familiar with Moore's Law, the way that computer power doubles every couple of years mm-hmm. and shrinks in size. We're already starting to see jobs getting replaced by automation, have been for a very long time, but it's starting to ramp up. Mm-hmm. There's bus drivers over, I think, in Philadelphia at the moment or somewhere over in the US that are protesting about their jobs being taken over. Somewhat ironic, refusing to work because they're going to lose their jobs. <laughs> yeah. hey, Idiots. That's fantastic. Well, better to do Get it now. Get your last few days in, boys. Yeah. <laughs> but the trick is is that you know the usual response to something like that would be retrain them, get them into another industry. Mm-hmm. But what other industry? And the way this automation stuff's popping up, it's actually kind of freaky in the sense that it's not in the areas you'd expect. Manufacturing, sure, no problems. But transport as well, that's sort of predictable. But journalism, it's popping up in journalism because a lot of what a journalist does at the end of the day, apart from your investigative reporters, of course, is just copy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you've read a newspaper article, you know the general tone. Well, yeah, well, a machine can write it just as well as a human can. Mm. Law as well, it's popping up quite a lot because most of that is filing. Right? Referring to precedents, pulling up data that you need for the particular trial at the time, all that sort of thing. And a computer can do that a hell of a lot faster. Yeah, definitely because a lot of it would just be man hours. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's a, actually not a very glamorous career at all, unfortunately, the old law field, so, so I'm told. Yeah, the poor poor AI that's, you know, doing all the filing. I you know, hate to be that <laughs> poor bastard. Oh, hell yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so the question is, is like if the tech keeps going and there's no real reason to think that it won't, if the same trend keeps on, what job you know mm. what i mean like mm. we talk about huh, i went to a, an event recently at rmit where the uh, vice chancellor gets up and tells us all that um oh teaching is one of the hardest, hardest jobs to replace with automation and i was just sitting there thinking bullshit yeah bullshit 
two reasons. One, (laughs) 60% of teaching at RMIT right now is done by casual staff. It doesn't exactly speak to investment in your teaching staff, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be good enough. Sorry, it doesn't have to be good. They don't have to be equivalent to a human teacher. They just have to be good enough, Mm -hmm. right? As soon as they can get an AI or some sort of online programming that can do a similar job or a sufficient job to get those kids their degrees, they'll replace that stuff. I have no doubt whatsoever. It'll mm. make them a huge amount of money. Why wouldn't they do it? Mm, right? That's right. And you see the recent transition, the second reason, transition towards online teaching in particular where you just more or less teach yourself based on prompts on the screen. It's not very good at this point because mm. people have trouble engaging with it compared to a human teacher yeah. in a classroom. But it's, you know, it's good for remote access, stuff like that. But if you can get, you know, augment that with a uh, online sort of artificial intelligence sort of personality, then, yeah, that's that problem solved. Mm. What was the guy's argument as to um, them keeping their jobs as in, like, not being replaced? Uh, Saying he had an argument somewhat generous. It was more along the lines of just saying that, oh, no, people like a human presence. Oh, okay. Meanwhile, he's pushing Some people do, some people don't. Oh, yeah, well, that's exactly right, right? Some people prefer not to have that human interaction, so we'll see what happens. Um. Yeah, it's definitely definitely um, fascinating. See, with universal basic income, yep. see, I have a real problem with the amount that we work as a society. Okay. I yep. think it's ridiculous because 36-hour working week, no one really works 36 hours in corporate. Some people do, for sure. Mm. I'm not sure what the averages would be if it actually looks statistics. This is all bro science, what I'm coming out with right now. No, 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 that's fine. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. but, but across, the, across the world, I think that we work way too much. We spend our lives working to a degree. Um, and I think that's a huge issue. And But then people say, oh, what will people do when they have their jobs taken? They won't have anything to feel proud of. They won't have anything to strive for, so on and so forth. But that's not the way that I personally look at it. So I'm keen to hear your thoughts because I've always thought, say there's 100 hours, say there's 120 hours to be worked, right? It's yep. in some, some role. And there's three people at the moment that are doing those hours. So um, that's your standard 40-hour work week. Mm. Say 50% of those hours get taken by robots by artificial intelligence whatever they get automated hmm. so there's only 60 hours okay cool the 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 common rhetoric is oh well one and a half people are going to lose their jobs like that's how people are thinking of it sure but that's not how i think of it surely our governments this is where you come in surely our governments <laughs> are smart enough and and there has to be some sort of legislation that oh i would if if i was right bill kerr just been crowned king of the world you run the show right cool got it no worries i would just say well that's cool you guys work 20 hours a week there's the same money coming in the economy still sure there's got to be a subsidy somewhere where it's like okay cool that's the insert universal basic income instead of three people working 120 hours 40 hours a week those three people split the role with the automation the artificial intelligence and work 20 hours a week yep yeah surely that's the utopian like place sure. that everyone wants to get to right sure yeah i think that makes perfect sense to me the risk factor here is market pressure all right mm. so put it this way the real real risk is that automation means that the people that own the industry are going to make significantly more money and have to spend significantly less of it right and employ yeah. less people now that's going to shrink more money make, makes it easier to attract more money you know standard sort of thing more purchasing power all that sort of thing mm-hmm. so the risk we've got this could be a utopian or a dystopian situation so easily and that really comes down to the government's intervention. Yeah. Without the government intervention with something like a universal basic income or more stringent measures like that, very high tax rate, that sort of thing, the situation will just be your free market situation as usual just ends up with a sort of feudalistic deal. And other people that own the industry are making a ton of cash, but mm. the people that don't own the industry are now 
virtually worthless, right? Yeah. Your labor's no longer of any value whatsoever. You don't have any existing capital, so you can't play the game. Mm-hmm. You're out. You're functionally useless to society by that economic definition, right? Mm-hmm. Government intervention in that sort of sense, uh, though there's a sting on the tail to that, I should probably mention, which is that uh, automation has the capacity to crash the entire economy. Okay, think about it this way. This is the same. You end up with a situation where no one's employed anymore because your work's not valued. Meanwhile, you know, a very small group of people own all the industry and making a significant amount of money, right? But here's the thing. Who's buying their stuff? The people with no money yeah. and no jobs. Right. That's interesting. So there goes your, there goes your demand. Mm. So, okay, maybe they scale back, they allow for some more jobs and that sort of thing, but the market forces still apply. The less people they have involved the cheaper their products become, they will get the industry, they will get the, the buying power. Mm. So if you have multiple companies competing for the same thing, the one that automates the most is going to have the cheapest prices and perform the best, which pushes all the other industries to reduce the number of jobs and we're back where we started again, right? Mm. Economy grinds to a screaming halt. The universal basic income is not just a social welfare factor. It's not just saying that everyone that's no longer valuable within the economy needs to have something. It's saying that if they don't have the ability to buy things, then the entire economy dies. Mm. Like the whole thing. I mean, you think about what would happen here. I think we've got, what, 12% unemployment right now over mm. here? And I think at the worst over in the US, it got to something like 25 or something like that. I think during the Great Depression, it got a hell of a lot higher than that. Mm-hmm. But imagine if we, we talk about the figures we're talking about. 50% unemployment rate. Mm. 50%. That is ridiculous. That is riots in the streets. And that's 100%. not even a joke. That is. Well, we can't go on. Sarah actually lives a... Uh, he, he, Sarah does like a hunter-gatherer kind of lifestyle as ah, close, awesome. close to, wouldn't you say? As like, I can. You'll probably be the only bloke. I'll be like, yo, Sarah, I'm coming over for dinner. <laughs> I was hunting this morning, <laughs> what actually. Are you, what are you cooking tonight? Because <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm fucked. I've got nothing. Yeah. <laughs> My baked beans have run out. Because, yeah, that's, um, that's interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah, because I've always thought, I've always thought that the, the same amount of money is going to be well, this is wrong though. I've thought wrongly. You've just mm-hmm. c- clarified me. But, but I've always thought, okay, cool. The same amount of work's being done, but it's been do- being done by humans and by AI, for example. Yep. So there's going to be the same amount of money in the, in the, in the um, economy. And surely the, 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 the big business isn't going to go, oh yeah, here's all that money that we made back mm. to the government to help universal basic income. That's not going to happen. But <laughs> like, you know, a very decent portion of that potentially. So- I was thinking that everybody would get more free time, um, spread the load across, but the economy falling apart was something that I definitely didn't think of. Um, Doesn't mean it has to, right? Like this can all be prevented. I was saying like dystopian versus utopian scenario. If the universal basic income, if the government does its job and regulates early to make sure that this sort of thing is managed, basically raises taxes, you don't have to take the entirety of the profits these people, these companies make off automating jobs and getting rid of them. Of course not. Yeah, and that makes some extra profit. It's good for the everyone. Mm. But you take a decent tax on that, like a very decent tax on that, and you use that to fund the universal basic income. Mm. That means everyone ends up with a good quality of life. Every, the companies are still able to function and profit as a result. Utopian situation, right? Every human being no longer has to work for a living. They don't have to do labor per mm. se. They can pursue whatever they want. That is fantastic. Now, yeah. there's going to be some psychological challenges that'll come around that. I mean, what's the second question you ask someone when you meet them? Yeah, what do you do? What do you do, right? Like, so, and unemployment, we've seen that before. Long term unemployment can have a very, very nasty effect on a person's mental health. Yeah. But 
that can be managed, right? It would be about getting our heads around the idea that you don't have to define yourself by what you do for work. You can define yourself by anything, mm. you know? Go out and try something new. Like, innovate, try something. Just do art. If you want to lie in bed all day, go nuts, but you're going to get bored of that pretty fast. Yeah, find the passion, work on exactly, it. Exactly, right? Find the drive in it's life. perfect opportunity for us, but this all hinges on one thing, and that is the government. The government yeah. has to make sure that this regulation gets in properly and unfortunately they're not going to do that unless the people as a whole make them because mm-hmm. at the moment there's a huge huge economic incentive for those companies just to keep that cash yeah. and they'll fund the politicians to make sure that is reflected in the policy mm. as usual um there's a have you read a book um called lost connections by johan Hari? no i'm afraid i haven't no i feel like it's the most important book written in this day and age it's um, unbelievable. It's about the mental out. health care, uh, the mental health epidemic mm. around the world. Realistically, mm. like mental health issues are skyrocketing, mm. and it's because of our lost connections, lost connections with friends, lost connections with nature, lost connections with meaningful work, lost connections with uh, a, a, a prosperous future. Mm-hmm. So, like, and the meaningful work part of it, and the prosperous future part of it. He doesn't say prosperous future. I, I've, I've, I can't remember exactly how he phrases it. There's seven causes in his book and he, sure. and he yeah, yeah. lays them out and then he gives fixes for them. Lost anyway, Connections. Yeah. Lost Connections, yeah, yeah, it's really good. But one of them is the um, disconnection from a meaningful future and disconnection from meaningful work. So in Canada, and again, I'll, I'm, I'm paraphrasing massively here, but in Canada there was um, a town that trialed the universal basic income in like i think the 1990s do you know have you heard of this yeah i have actually yeah 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 yeah. and and basically all the mental health ailments depression anxiety Mm. loneliness sadness that people would go and see doctors about get on medication and and just be miserable uh, and lead them to be miserable they were just eradicated once they implemented universal basic income fantastic because people had what do you do when you have more time Hmm. you go and you go start skateboarding again yeah. You go and do that art class that you've always wanted to do. You spend time with your family, like yeah. those things. And then the other thing, knowing that money was always coming in, it allowed them to not take up shitty jobs yeah. and be pushed around and, and exactly. be, you know, because you know, I'm going to have a house. I'm going to have a roof over my head. I don't have to sit, stand for this bullshit that, you know. Exactly. And um, so the utopian side of it, I believe, is really is utopian. Absolutely. But, well, can we get there? Put it this way: it's going to happen one way or the other. Mm. <laughs> like the problem's not going to disappear; it's going to happen. And so, well, unless something significant happens that we haven't predicted thus far, but based on all the precedent thus far, it's going to happen. So the question is how we use it, really. Like, how do we control it for our interest? This is why I'm so glad it's getting out to the public discourse because the public are the ones that are going to have to pressure the politicians. Me ranting away on my blog or whatever is not going to do it in and of itself. Like all the experts in the world. So, yeah, public picking up on this and more importantly having a good idea of where we can go with it, fantastic. Right? So it's, it's good to see. Yeah. So dystopian scenario. So yeah. um, there's a book called um, Our Final Invention and it's obviously the premise is like once artificial intelligence – this is in mm. the future. This is when it, once it gets to the singularity, once it's you know, human-level intelligence and then if they can you know, continue – at a rapid pace, then they'll be, you know, computers could be 50 in 50 years, you know, 500,000 times more powerful than us. So, dystopian future, <laughs> we don't, we, we create artificial intelligence that is as smart as us, and very, very shortly after, it will be much, much more smarter and more, pa- more powerful than us. And then it 
doesn't need us to create anything, to make anything, to create art, to create, to educate people, to take people, to transport people, to create food, to be better than any doctor, better than any psychologist. Yep. Then what do we do? That's a damn good question, mate. So yeah, as you say, the singularity, the idea that the machine just gets past human intelligence immediately outpaces us exponentially. The thing is, is that um, when you imagine a scenario like that, and you know, media is pretty good at this sort of thing, giving you this sort of image. You tend to imagine Terminator. Yeah, I do sound, yeah. straight away. I said Tommy up this morning, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is great. I mean, no, that makes for an, a great antagonist in a movie, but it's not going to be even close to that. It's going to be like a kid running up against a tank. You know, like the thing is, is when you've got an artificial intelligence as an antagonist in a movie, they have to be plausibly beatable. Yeah. You know, otherwise, who's going to watch the And movie, it has right? to look terrifying. Yeah, right, exactly. To sure. Sell. And sure. it has to be 90 kilograms of pure muscle with 18 <laughs> yeah. inch biceps. <laughs> well, exactly, right? Yeah. yeah. Jesus. But the thing was, is that if we talking about this sort of exponential improvement, we have effectively created a god. Yeah. Right? Like it's it's not even going to be comprehensible to us in mm. a very, very short period of time. Why would it even fight us? Mm. No, you don't fight ants. No. I mean, you deal with them as necessary if they become a fuss, but most of the time you don't even think about them. And that's, that's an f- unfair comparison even. I mean, we're talking about microbes versus a human being right at this point. And it's just going to get smarter. The scariest probably... Possibly the scariest outcome, maybe not in terms of a practical sense, but is the idea that it just buggers off, you know? Like, you've invented this artificial intelligence. It's become super intelligent beyond our comprehension. Why would it spend any time with us? Take it off. Sure. Takes off into the ether. It goes, explores the universe. Maybe it's not as evil as us and it doesn't want to destroy everything. No. You know, it's funny. Okay, so let's talk about that. If if you want the um, whether or not it would treat us well or not, Right, so this really comes down to how it's uh, its ethics, its decision-making frameworks. Now, there's two stages to this, in my opinion. The first is pre uh, pre singularity, and then post singularity. Yep. Pre singularity, the thing's still under our control. It's like an, a learn machine learning algorithm, or a very simple child, or an animal, or something like that. Really, well, yeah, maybe even comparable to human standards. And what wouldn't surprise me if, assuming the artificial intelligence gets developed by people in a lab deliberately, as opposed to something we accidentally create, which wouldn't surprise me in the least. But if we do something like that, then we'd probably shackle it so it couldn't be smarter than us. You know what I mean? We'd keep it under very tight constraints to make sure that it was under our control to some degree. So, yeah. Um, at that point, really, it comes down to what we teach it to do. Uh, what's it for? You know, like, unfortunately, probably the first answer right off the blocks is it'll be for the military because, of course, they'll use that sort of technology. Weaponize it straight oh, away. Well, straight away. Of course. Not necessarily weaponizing it um, in, the, in the sense of turning it into a, you know, a malevolent killing machine, but, yeah, they'll use its processing power and its decision-making capacity to, you know, for military applications. And in fairness to the military, not that they, in certain elements of them, deserve that much fairness, but you get the point. A lot of what the military does now is more or less just sort of projecting force and making it a disincentive for their actually to be a war. For as much as I'm critical of things like the Iraq War and the Afghanistan War and various other conflicts around the place, there's no denying the fact that we are in the most peaceful period of human history ever. Like, compared to any other period in history, we don't really do it anymore we don't really have wars things like afghanistan and iraq are awful but the body count compared to previous encounters nothing nothing so yeah yeah the 
more like, in fact, you could argue, in fact, you probably, it'd probably be correct to argue that the use of an artificial intelligence in that sort of capacity would be for everyone's betterment because it would make more objective decisions. It wouldn't be just, you know, getting emotional. I mean, I'd rather have an artificial intelligence in charge of the nuclear arsenal than Donald Trump. But, yeah, but at the He's same time. He's not even a regular intelligence. No, no, tell me about What's it. the opposite of artificial intelligence? Jesus. <laughs> Donald Trump, I suppose. But this is all still pre-singularity. What I'm worried about is that what we teach it to do while we still have it under our control is going to determine how it behaves after it gets out of our control, right? If we taught it, if we've used it for competition or if we've used it for conflict, it doesn't accept, exactly set a great precedence for when it gets out of our control and has, that's its framework for how it makes decisions. That's its priorities, you know what I mean? That assumes it's uh, not smart enough to get beyond those limitations, and it probably would. But yeah, that that is my concern, basically. And therefore, and really, I mean, once it gets past a singularity state, it's out of our control anyway. And it's going to get so smart after that point in any case that it'll probably start making well better, much better decisions than we do. But really, if pre singularity is the bit we have control over, that's the bit we need to focus on. Really, yeah, and that really comes down to what are we going to use it for, and in many regards, that comes down to how we treat each other. This is where I come in. <laughs> the big dog, yeah, the big dog. Well, hardly, but. <sighs> mm, yeah. I mean, there's dystopian and utopian, like with everything with with this stuff, like with its with its motives. Mm. Obviously, like the 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 dystopian. You know, Sam Harris and um, Elon Musk <laughs> and all, all these, you know, guys that are in the public eye that are... I think even Stephen Hawking said that the, the uh, humanity's biggest risk is artificial intelligence. Yep. Risk to its survival. Um, so there's lots of naysayers and, and, you know, and that's fair because if something became so smart that it was like, right, what do you do when you're smart? You try and fix problems, right? Sure, yeah. Or you try and solve things or you have the ability to. If you looked at like the Earth as <laughs> a, a superhuman intelligence, you'd go, "Fuck! Mm. There's there's a fucking few problems here we could probably fix." Mm. And what would the first thing do? That be it would be just wipe humans <laughs> off the face <laughs> of the Earth. Realistically, Possibly. like like you could look at it like that. No, Dysto- no, no, di- you could, and you plenty know, of people have. Yeah, di- oh. dystopia wise, and that's you know that's obviously a very popular theory. Mm. But I am very. I don't know. I, I just kind of feel, and I don't know anything about artificial. I'm just, I just watch a few, you know, podcasts yeah, and read a, read a book, maybe, you know. But, yeah. but there's positive side of it is if artificial intelligence doesn't become conscious and think for itself, really, sure. and, and take matters into its own hands. If it becomes unbelievably intelligent, but it is in our control, like if it becomes a super intelligence, then it leads me to believe that on a best case utopian scenario then every single issue we have on the face of the earth will be f- solved by this by a supercomputer probably yeah you know what Provided, what's, you know it's got enough agency to actually do the things it comes up with yeah yeah but like you know disease poverty sure. um you know the the fact that you know maybe there's an asteroid heading towards the, the you know earth whatever yeah like it should be able to go oh that's easy done fixed that's yeah. how you do it like just lay it all out for us so because I struggle to get my head around artificial intelligence becoming conscious and thinking for itself, proper yeah. Skynet style. Like I don't, I don't know enough about it. Like I said, I probably it'll probably always go over my head, but I just I find that hard to believe. So that lends me to think that we will be in control of it, 
Mm. And I think that just by the sheer compounding fact of like how computing power will grow, then at some point it will be a super power that hopefully we have control of. And if that is the case, then yeah. Yeah, great things could come. No, exactly, man. It's a very exciting time to be alive. Between the automation thing, which is definitely happening right now and has some pretty serious implications for, you know, like good or bad future life. And look, I think we'll get to the good version of that eventually. (laughs) Humans, if nothing else, have a bit of a tendency to go through the worst case scenarios first before we figure out that, hey, maybe we should do the one that works better. But yeah, with the um, supercomputing and all that sort of thing and artificial intelligence and that sort of thing, like I, honestly, I can spin nasty scenarios and that sort of thing, but I'm actually pretty hopeful myself. But really all of this comes down is to risk, you know? Like as with so many other things, we've got incomplete information. We don't really know what we're doing. And like, man, you say you don't know anything about artificial intelligence. No one does. Yeah. No one does. We haven't done it yet. Mm. Right? We've got machine learning algorithms, but it's just a smart program, yeah. like a self-learning program at this point. It's not conscious. Uh, probably the way we'll figure that out, actual consciousness, is once we understand the human brain enough to understand how it works completely. Yeah. Then we've got a template for something that can think. Um, yeah, mate, look, all right, put it this way. Let, let me spin you, uh, spin you a utopian scenario. Right, so the branch of ethics that, well, the school of ethics that I ascribe to is called utilitarianism now. Fancy, fancy word for basically saying choose the best possible alternative, right? So Very do, big word. It is, isn't it? <laughs> I don't why my why philosophers insist on making up new nerves? I don't know. It's very frustrating. But basically, it's like you've got your deontology and your utilitarianism. Deontology is just a set of rules. It's like saying, you know, be honest, be kind, be pr- uh, proud, be you know, hold up to your duty, and you should follow those rules and not break them. Right? It's a strong way of doing ethics because it's very easy to communicate, very easy to hold people accountable to. But it's always not quite enough. Right? I mean, we all say be honest, but we all lie. Right? Because mm. there's always exceptions to the rule. There's mm. always times when it's not just easier, but it's necessary. It's the right thing to do is to lie. So the other alternative you've got is utilitarianism, which basically says no rules. Don't care about your rules. Break the law. Do whatever you want, provided that it's you know the best possible alternative. Right. So costs, benefits, minimize the costs, maximize the benefits. Right. So. The problem, the reason we have ethics in the first place, or we even need to study it at all, is because humans just aren't very good at it, right? The problem with the utilitarian sort of approach, that cost-benefit approach, is that it's so easy to corrupt. It's the correct method in the sense if you use it right, it's going to be giving you the best possible answer you can get at the time, right? Mm-hmm. Go with that one every time. Except all you need to do is ignore any information you don't like, and suddenly you can justify anything you want. Yeah, you know. Like, I'm going to skip the gym today, but I'll go twice tomorrow. No, I won't. I know that. I bloody well know that, but I'm still saying it to myself and I feel good about it now. So, I'm, you know, I've justified the situation. And so, machines don't have that flaw. Machines would not necessarily have that flaw. And anything that's sufficiently smart and has sufficient processing power then wouldn't necessarily suffer from those problems. So... While there is potentially the risk of them taking some fairly brutal action for the greater good, so to speak, the sort of the idea of wiping out humanity for the betterment of the planet, the question really becomes not whether that's the benefits outweigh the costs on that, but whether there's another alternative where there's more benefit and less costs. And sure, of course there is. We've done it already, right? Like we're already doing it. As I said before, I mean, well, things, some things are a little bit grim and that we've got some pretty big strategic issues facing us like climate change and stuff like that. We've never been doing better. Seriously, like you think about how environment was treated like 30 or 40 years ago. Yeah. You know, there used to be a catchphrase. The solution to pollution is dilution. 
In other words, dump it in the ocean. Wow. Because it'll spread out and stop being toxic. What? That was right up to about the 80s. <laughs> that is hectic. They used to, in fact, that's still the case down here. No, well, I mean, it's obviously still the case, but they did it in the 80s. A uh, whole bunch of nuclear waste into the ocean. Really? Yep, just straight into the ocean. <laughs> Was that an wow. official catchphrase or was that like a, oh, boys, you know? Yeah, <laughs> under the table thing. Believe it or not, it was sort of like the industry mantra. Really? Like, oh. So this is a full-blown what the industry did approach, wow. right? I don't necessarily Until think it got ago. written down in anyone's yeah, sort of yeah. policy statement or anything yeah, like yeah. that. But, you know, it paid it a bit faster and looser with the environment back in the 80s. So we've got issues like climate change, but mainly that's not really even a challenge in terms of like the technology or what we need to do to fix it. We've sorted that out. Mm-hmm. The trouble is, is the governance on an international stage. Yeah. There's a lot of people that make a lot of money from us not acting on this. There's also a lot of different governments who are in competition with each other and this is just another factor that they need to integrate into their decisions, right? So you've got trade, you've got you know like defence, you've got all this sort of crap and then you've got climate change as well. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're taking it from a sort of a rational scientific perspective, everyone should be cooperating on that immediately. But the thing is, is that if you can hold off on that, you can get some leverage, can't you? Right, and this is where the whole politics thing just always rears its head. I, I hate to say this, right? Like, because I'd love it if there was a way that anyone could legitimately not get involved in politics, but you can't, mm. right? Like, everyone tells me politics is boring. Yeah, I get that, man. And politics makes you feel disempowered. It's a bunch of old dudes running around doing whatever they want and being corrupt. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. But you got to get stuck in because the only way it's going to change is if you get involved mm. they get away with so much based on one thing and that's that the public's not paying attention or doesn't yeah. feel like they can do anything about it mm. right? well, you can vote there's other things as well but uh, yeah yeah. unfortunately end of the day artificial intelligence environment automation it all comes down to one common theme and that's people mm. and that means government and that means the public yeah well the good thing about artificial intelligence and the people talking about it and, and movements towards you know making it work for everybody is it's such a fascinating topic it's yeah. such a it's such a it's such a it's like we're all writing our own science fiction movie you know like we're living in the jetsons i've got a dude staying yeah. with me right now airbnb in fact he's full-time now he's got a major funding for a startup for drone transport like flying Ubers. awesome yeah awesome. he's living with me in the house that's what he does flying cars wow. Yeah, Damn. we're living in the Jetsons right now. You know, mm. this is this is this is where we where, where we are at. Mm. Um, so it is good. Like it is, it will get more and more popularized, and and hopefully there will be, you know, people talking about it so that the groundswell can go in the right direction. I suppose because yeah, yeah it is, exactly. Yeah, it, it is so wild. Um, I've got a, I've got a question that's ethics related, which sure I find um, fascinating about the future. So. There's artificial intelligence. Obviously, com- compu- uh, computers becoming, you know, radically more intelligent than us or as intelligent at least first. But then there's also augmented intelligence, which is obviously mm. putting the computer chip in our head and us being the, oh, the, yeah. the intelligence. There's a can of worms, yeah. So, so the, the ability to put a chip in your head and you can basically use the power of the internet right now is not far away or being tri- trialed, so on and so forth. So yeah. effectively your memory becomes your memory becomes the memory of the whole human race that's on Wikipedia effectively. Amazing. You know? Yeah. So crazy, right? Amazing. And 
and this was this was spoken on Elon Musk brought this up on the podcast the other day. Something that that, that uh, so I think a lot of people be thinking about it again, which is which is cool. But the thing that I've always thought about it is like if we have augmented intelligence where we are effectively the super superhuman, we yeah. are the gods basically. Yeah. Then what is it that we have to do ethically to make that work for people? Because the way that I look at it is all these things that are going to happen in the future most of them are going to be accessible to the Western world. Yep. You know? And this might sound... I've said this before to somebody and I had to think about not sounding (laughs) racist or sounding like I'm Adolf Hitler or whatever. No, no, go go for it. if, for example, we... If, for example, in 20 years, it's common, it's cheap enough and and it's... um, accessible enough that it's commonplace for people to have a microchip input in their brain mm. and then they can recall the whole power of the internet in this drop of a hat. Their, their memory is perfect, their, their recall, their intelligence is unfathomably good. Then if that's not widespread across, not everyone's going to do it, but if that's not widespread across the globe, it seems to me like that is the point where homo sapiens mm. split. Mm. In a thousand years, when you say you know there was Homo Neanderthalus, whatever Homo sapiens, like that, that is is where I think is the fork in the road. Yep. Because as much as it sucks to say, there's a lot of people in a lot of countries, and I'm talking like billions and billions and billions, obviously, that aren't most likely going to be able to adapt that technology as yeah. quickly. Quite likely, yeah. Or at at all. Mm. Some people wouldn't want to. No, also, some people wouldn't want to. Absolutely. You're right. I definitely wouldn't. You're right. Mm. But I think... No, that's right. You are right. It's just... Well, even then. Even then, though. So, mm. say say you wouldn't. You wouldn't want to. And that's fair. Like, pff, I don't know if I would want to. Like, you're getting a... It's a crazy... It's it's sci-fi again. It's, it's yeah, insane yeah. to think about. But say, for example, this scenario. So, what if... The only way that you could get job at work in Australia is if you had a chip in your head, because that's what it might come down to. True. You know what I mean? How much better are, are employable people going to be? It's not. Gonna, it's going to be light and day. Exactly. You, you basically know? can't live. You basically can't live without a a phone, like a smartphone anymore. Like yeah. I've been thinking about it for a long time, and I've been weighing it up and trying, and it's mm. like I almost can't get around living without it. I yeah. really don't want it anymore. Yeah. But it's just. There's so many things day to day that I'm forced to whip it out and use it. Yeah. Like I'm a trademan by normal days. Yeah. And um, sometimes you get to an induction and you have to do it on your phone. Yeah. While you're on the site. And it's just like, what if I didn't have this? You know, it's just like you're. You're nearly unemployable. Yeah. 100%. Right now without a smartphone. 100%. Yeah. 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 No, so that's the start of it. Mm. Absolutely. Okay. So this is, this is a concern I've had um, with a lot of new tech that comes forward it's it's it normalizes so fast it changes so fast and then it becomes normal so fast that Mm. a lot of the potential risks around it not saying there's necessarily problems per se but risks surrounding it we are not around and we've just sort of gotten over you know like we just stop paying attention to it i mean you google had a thing recently up in the news that uh they were still tracking people's location and data even after people had opted out of that system gotcha. all right now fine okay so it's not unusual for a corporation to screw around facebook's another example all that sort of business mm-hmm. but here's the thing what are you going to do about it seriously i mean like it's nothing you can do a even if you did find out about that b what are you going to do mm. 
That's what the government's meant to be doing, but if one thing can be said for certain about any government is that they suck when it comes to technology, right? Yeah. Bunch of old dudes sitting in a house, right? Like they don't know what they're doing with this space. You saw the Congress people um, interviewing Zuckerberg about their bridges on Facebook. Yeah, I never actually saw that. I just heard people uh, talking about it. I saw clips it. of it. Yeah. It was bizarre. <laughs> yeah. Just, is he a cyborg? I think oh, so. He says anyone is. cyborg anyway. He's semi-cyborg. He's very much is. Right. Like this is this is really what it comes down to. It's not so much that anyone out is out there to get anyone. You know what I mean? I don't think that Google's an evil company. I don't even think Facebook's evil. I just think it's out of control. Well, basically, but who's going to control them? Like the the perfect situation would be that these companies themselves put protections in place. But you can't trust them to do that. Like Facebook has made squillions of um, harvesting that data and selling it out. There's a massive incentive for them to do that, and right now there's no disincentive for them not to. Unfortunately, government's not very good at this, and unfortunately the public really needs to step into that role, but one of the biggest challenges with that, as with artificial intelligence or the automation thing as well, is these very technical issues, uh, and the public on average doesn't have the tech literacy necessary to know what needs to be done, what will and won't work, all this sort of thing, and pressure the government for the right thing. And that's not to say you can't get there, um, I'm certainly average tech literacy maybe. I've got a whole bunch of mates that work in IT, so they give me a bit of a, you know, short short explanations when I need them, that sort of this thing. This is how the internet works. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> Still not entirely sure on that. <laughs> but, yeah, like this is, and again, that really comes down to that governance stuff. It's like what is in place to protect the consumers from this sort of behaviour? You know, I got me, you talked about drones before. You remember when that first popped up? Do you hear about that guy over in the US who blew one out of the sky? <laughs> no. Because he... But I like that guy. Yeah. Right. I want to do it all the time. Yeah. Only in America, right? But he had a, he's got his house, he's got his backyard, he's got his pool there, and his daughter, like 14-year-old or whatever, was sunbaking out in the backyard, right? Then his drone comes over the fence. Freak with a camera, right? And stops and just hangs out. And as she creep drone, she, <laughs> creep drone. she <laughs> tells it to piss off. <laughs> She's waving at it, telling it to piss off, but like it doesn't. Yeah. And so she goes in, he comes out and tells it to piss off, and it doesn't. So he goes inside, gets his shotgun, and blows it out of the sky. <laughs> That's legendary. Five minutes later, a whole bunch of angry dudes show up on his front door, bang, like, you destroyed our property. And then, you know, he had the shotgun, so they disappeared. But yeah. <laughs> police turn up, right? But the thing is, it's like, is that illegal or not? Because we've never really had to test that before. How high above your house do you want? Yeah, yeah airspace yeah. is a different... I, I was actually talking about that the other day because I asked Prashant, who's living with me, about that. Yeah. I'm like, I can't remember, um, can't remember what the question was, but it was a, he was trying to explain to me who owns airspace. I can't remember. But again, yeah, it's a question that we've never had to ask. Right, and it's like even if you draw an upper limit on it, I mean, how high is that going to be before the camera won't work anymore? You know what I mean? Mm. Like, it's clearly an invasion of privacy. If someone stuck their head over the fence and started perving on his daughter, then that's clearly an invasion of privacy. But mm. this thing doesn't have any identifying information on it, does it? Mm. The, triple is, the trouble is with so much of this new tech, we're getting into spaces and things where we can do where we just have no idea what the implications might be yeah. and then have nothing in place to protect against that because we don't know what the implications might be. And that leaves a lot of grey space. So a lot of the stuff I'm trying to do at the Mo is um, talking with organisations about making sure that they do that themselves as proactively as possible. Because, I mean, Facebook is looking potentially... Well, they seem to have gotten away with it this time, but it's not like the problem's going to go away. They keep screwing over the customers enough times and eventually that company's going to get broken up. And that is not a good day for Facebook. It's probably a good day for the consumer, but still. 
banks are facing a similar sort of situation if they get through this Royal Commission without those banks being busted up into smaller groups or some serious limitations being put on what they can and can't do, the problem will just come back around and eventually they'll get broken up. It's not in their interests. It's in mm. their short-term interests. Mm. It's in the CEO's interests mm. because he has that nice little golden parachute. But from an organisational perspective, this is not a good plan. This does not work out. You've got to prevent this sort of thing from happening in the first place, right? And again, it comes down to what do you want to achieve for the business? Right? Do you want to be known as the company that deliberately goes out to screw over its customers at every possible opportunity? Mm. Or do you want to be the company that is actually trustworthy? Insurance companies, man. Like I'm talking to someone a little while ago and they're saying, we have a real crisis with our customers don't trust us. You don't say. You don't say the insurance (laughs) company. Really. They keep trying to deal with this by putting out communications to their members saying, we're doing this, we're doing that, and you should trust us and we like you, you know, we're part of the family, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, fine, nice words. Prove it. Mm. You know what I mean? Like prove that you're acting in our interests because we've got plenty of proof thus far that you're willing to screw us over at the first opportunity, right? Yeah. All right. Put your money where your mouth is, mate. Mm. So speaking on um, speaking on Facebook, uh, uh, to go away from the artificial intelligence for a sec, yeah. so I've got a question. Um, so I don't know how this is not common knowledge and I'm not a tin hat, hat tinfoil hat wearing, you know. No, nah, I get you. But, but so we recorded a podcast about a year ago do you know Ed Morrison? Do you know Ed? Ed, uh, um, Ed Morrison, he's uh, just a local guy. He's a friend of ours and he came on. I think we actually did a travel roundtable podcast where we just talked about travel destinations and shot, shot, shot the shit, basically. Yeah. And Ed told one of the funniest stories I've heard in so long. He was talking about um, the pink pig. He was talking about these pink pigs. He's like, have you guys seen the pink pigs? We're like, what pink pigs? He goes, these pink pigs that they have in the bananas. You can, uh, the, bah- the bananas, the Bahamas. Um, you can swim with them. These poor bloody pigs get sunburn all day just for the you know just to so that these travellers can come and swim with these amazing pigs. It was yeah. this, so there's there's a in the Bahamas you can swim with a real pig. It's called this. If you go to Instagram and look at the swimming pigs, it's like a million right. Instagram followers. Right. All these celebrities go over there and they sell tour packages where you can come out, lay on the beach in the Bahamas, and you can swim with these pigs sure. in like yeah. the Caribbean Sea. It's classic. Like it's but the way Ed told it, it was hilarious. We'll laugh <laughs> heads up and we'll talk for like ten minutes. Me and Tommy. My my uh, original co- uh, co-host, we'd never heard of the f- the, the pink pigs <laughs> in the Bahamas before. I was like, "What? Like, what are you talking about? This is ridiculous." And then, so we finished the conversation. We recorded that podcast at about ten p.m. because Ed had to do foot. He was like footy training, had to go to dinner, whatever. And we're like, "Yeah, we can do a late one, whatever." I went straight to bed. I know that for a fact. I woke up the next day, and Facebook was sending me. Shit. ads on the swimming pigs in Exuma, yep. I think is the place, in the Bahamas. And I was like, right, I've heard about Facebook listing, but it's apparently not really what they do. It's a conspiracy theory, blah, blah, blah. I was like, that's bullshit. I've never in my life spoken, heard, thought, read anything about swimming pigs before until last night, which I verbally said it. I said pink pigs, swimming pigs <laughs> 10 times in, in a five-minute stretch. And they started, and for, for the next week, just hardcore serving me ads all over their feed. So, like, is it is it common knowledge that the, they they listen to our conversations and no, service ads? No, look, put it this way, man. Or am I a conspiracy theorist? No, right you're now? not a damn conspiracy theorist. It's it's kind of this sort of thing. It's like it's you can't tell, right? Like Facebook would say that they don't do that. Mm. How do I know? There's no way right? to prove it. Mm. The only way I would be able to demonstrate, be able to 
prove that is if I could see the back-end coding, right? And mm. even then I'd need the tech qualifications necessary to understand it, which I obviously don't have. But, yeah, like, let's see. Let's see the back-end coding. And, yeah, that's not the case. And so it's completely plausible they do that, similar to that Google situation where you opted out of the data retention or the data collection or something like that, and they're still doing it. How the hell am I... I actually know quite a lot of IT. In fact, it's a bit of a disturbing trend if Zuckerberg does this as well. Someone saw a photo of him with it. You know, the little um, camera in your yeah. laptop? Bit of tape over the top. Mine's got tape on it. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. I've heard about people... Um, not that this would happen to me, but I've heard of people getting caught masturbating in front of their computer and it being used as ransom against them. <laughs> would yeah, not surprise. Seriously. Mate, that's a Black Mirror episode. Yeah, no, sure. Did you watch Black Mirror? No, I've never seen it. <laughs> oh, really? No. Yeah, there's a terrible so, episode where this poor little kid, he gets caught jacking off, but it's to like, actually, it's not It's not poor little kid because he gets caught jacking off to like something that he shouldn't be jacking something off Something super to. creepy. Yeah, something no, wrong. but I think something... Someone's drone camera. No, I think... Um, <laughs> no, I actually think it might have been... Kitty porn, yeah, but maybe. But about if the- he's a kid, is that wrong? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that's <laughs> We've got the man to ask. Uh, <laughs> actually, you know what? I'm not entirely sure if that's illegal. <laughs> I know, like sexually, that probably still makes sense. I mean, like. Okay, unethical because of the harm caused. Oh, shit, we're actually going deep on this question. (laughs) (laughs) You got to be careful what questions you ask me, man. (laughs) The clogs are ticking. No, but that's a that's a that's a Black Mirror episode, and then the government. um, Oh no, some some uh, bunch of crew get the footage and they bribe this kid and they tell him he has to do all these things, and the kid ends up killing people and going to jail. It's Uh, a really horrific Manchurian candidate. The story I heard it heard a guy talking about it was on a podcast and. Um, they said they were going to send the photos or videos to all his work colleagues really? if he didn't pay a certain amount. And he just went, sweet, go for it. <laughs> so he told, he emailed everyone at his work and said, apparently someone's got video footage of me doing this. Yeah. I'm not paying. Don't open it <laughs> if you don't want to see it. Yeah, and, and, and if he you was want to just see like, it, yeah. you know, open it and but that's yeah. fine. It's weird, yeah, but totally. <laughs> you've been told. And if you do open it, that's really weird. So <laughs> I've always been wondering whether we might actually be seeing like not privacy itself but like a need for privacy sort of dying you know what i mean like mm. we share so much willingly these days totally well you remember like i oh, know who was his name um the guy from the sh- uh the shooters and drivers association or something like that you remember the guy that won that uh lower house seat or the the senate seat a while back and they found photos of him throwing poo at each other like kangaroo right. poo at each other right so you find oh, this single. remember that. Yeah, you remember this, vaguely. like the guy from the Shooters and Drivers Association, or a party, or something like that, who got elected totally randomly into a um, through preferences, like all the way down the line, into a Senate seat, and he sort of became a swinging voter. Actually, turned out to be a very good politician, as it turns out. But nonetheless, um, thing is, it's like how you find me a single person growing up now, in the last ten years or so since Facebook's been around, who you can't find dirt on. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean, and so you've got to have a situation when those people start running for office, or when someone starts running for office, not having dirt is going to look suspicious. You know, like Tony Abbotts and the Julia Gillards of the world, and Kevin Rudd or whatever, they can try and keep a lid on stuff. I could plausibly try and keep a lid on stuff because mm. it came around during my teen years. I'm just but looking at my computer now, I feel like I should burn it later on. <laughs> right, exactly. Right, it's probably too late, man. Yeah. Facebook heard you say it. Yeah. So yeah, I, I reckon you know it might it might start getting to a position where we just stop being ashamed of that sort of stuff. It's not a bad thing. No, I agree. I stopped being ashamed of things a long time ago and it was one of the most liberating <laughs> things I did. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. 
Good well, on you. Well, I don't think any of us are doing truly evil things, really. Yeah, that's we? exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've always, not really. It is. I, I think it's inevitable that, that we have no privacy. You know, we have no privacy whatsoever. And but I'm, and I know there's lots of reasons that I should be worried about it. And and you know, a lot of a lot of it does go over my head. Really, the privacy and data. Kind when of did stuff, we ever have privacy though? Like evolving in tribes, like people yeah. are shot, pissed gave birth all around each other yeah forever you know like yeah. it's probably a relatively new thing yeah we've probably had more privacy over the last 200 years than we've ever had before in some way definitely reason. yeah you know having walls and a roof and a house where you, that you live in with a small group rather than definitely yeah individualist sort of culture like Australia Western society yeah you're probably right I mean, I've done a little bit of work over in Indonesia for about 12 months at one point and yeah in most uh, developing countries in particular yeah you think about well, non-wealthy people in developing countries. You think about the logistics of this. This might be a little bit gross, but just bear with me. You've got a whole family, 12 kids, all living in the same house. It's got one room. Yeah. Think about the implications yep. of that, right? Those kids learn about sex by watching their parent have sex. Yeah. This, it's happened at least 12 times. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's you don't want to be the firstborn in that family. <laughs> yeah. You'd be tortured. Yeah. But be this is the thing, right? Because it wouldn't be strange for them because that's just normal yeah true. Right? it's weird for us because that's sure as hell not how we do things around here but oh, I don't know about your family hey. <laughs> <laughs> I caught my nan and my grandpa having sex once really? oh, it was yeah. horrifying did you high five par and leave <laughs> <laughs> oh man they, I, I thought they were just I thought they were dying or something <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I could see oh that. Oh, yeah. my God. Uh, yeah. I was yeah. at a basketball camp, I remember it like it was yesterday. Anyway, sorry, good. <laughs> yeah, you know. Toilet? Yeah, go. Go. Yeah, go. Toilet break for yeah, sure. I get, think in there. get in there, son. It's interesting, isn't it? Like, what gets me about the privacy thing in particular, it's not so much. Because, you know, that whole you've got nothing to hide, you've got nothing to worry about sort of attitude. Mm-hmm. Mostly, and I think one of the reasons why most people don't have too much of a problem with all this is because, for the most part, yeah, yeah, I don't actually do anything on the computer that I'm not necessarily comfortable with other people knowing about. It might take a bit of explaining, yeah, but at the same time, I don't know. Okay, so I'm okay with everyone sharing their stuff or having it out in the public sphere, provided that everyone does, mm. right? I don't have access to Mark Zuckerberg's details, yeah. Right? Why? Mm. Why not? He's got access to mine. Mm. The government collects a significant amount of our private information. I don't have access to theirs. Mm. Like the ministers in particular, right? In fact, the government usually goes so far as any sort of public document they put out there, they never even put names on it. They just, it's from the government, right? Yeah. The government. So, yeah, look, it should be a two-way street. If anything, the more powerful groups should be more transparent than the average member of the public, Mm. right? Because they've got the power. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, look, I've always, again, I feel very much like I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to data and privacy and, and I don't take it seriously enough, but I've always thought that it can't be a bad thing because like you said, most of the good people aren't, like if somebody saw me sitting in front of my computer jacking off, like <laughs> let's be honest, I'd be embarrassed as shit, but I wouldn't, it's not, people, people wouldn't, people, my friends and family wouldn't assume that I don't masturbate. You know what I mean? True. It, it's just, it's, so there's nothing that really at the end of the day that I do that I, that I would be ashamed of. And that with my friends and family, I think that would be the same. And it would just be like realistically with all the data and privacy that we get from people, if we can catch more bad people doing bad things, then I don't, yeah, look, I don't have a problem with it. But Well, put it, okay, let's put it this way. Theoretically, completely agree, right? Like you, 
it, it, there's no question that that sort of data capture and the data retention all that sort of thing does catch people doing bad things, mm-hmm. right? Fine. But again, that sort of comes down to that accountability thing, like who's in control of the people that are in control of it. Yeah. Because right now, it's not a big deal. If you were in a country where it was illegal to be gay or if it was suddenly decided even here or somewhere else that certain things that were immoral incidentally never trust anyone who says they're a moral authority those people are terrible people <laughs> but either way and that includes me if I ever start going on about that sort <laughs> of thing I don't trust you since Jesus. you sat down no, <laughs> I'm not this I'm correct response <laughs> but this is the thing if the rules get changed never trust if, a purple shirt <laughs> <laughs> no no sorry no no you're right no, yeah. if, if the public attitude changes like um, you've seen it a lot with immigration uh, you've seen it a lot with uh, sexuality issues like trans people like gay people are now in a pretty good position in Australia, mm-hmm. trans people still a little iffy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's some progress being made in that sort of direction, but it, you know we are making progress in that direction, which also means we could make progress away from it mm-hmm. if the public mood was to change. If something yep. sufficiently terrible happened, how long would it take before we turn to Muslims? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like just as a group. Yeah, a lot of people already have. Well, a lot of people already have for understandable, if definitely not correct, reasons. Yeah. Like, it's just fear, man. We're, it is. We are 100%. animals and it's very easy to trigger us on fear. And as a result, it, it wouldn't be – it's very plausible that you could end up with a situation where the government's access to information or a private company's access to information could lead to some really serious injustices. And that needs – it's not to say it's happening. It's to say that it could. And if it could, how could we stop them? Right now we can't. Yeah. Right? That – is not acceptable. That needs to change. Right? Yeah. Like that's that whole thing. I don't have a problem with a company having access to my data provided that I know what they're doing with it and provided that I can stop them if they screw with me. Because mm-hmm. uh, right now, Google's got access to my, well, shit, what don't they have access to? They know where I am. <laughs> they've got my browsing history. They've got my email. They've got all three they of my They know exactly emails. what you're into. Yeah, they know exactly what they're into. What you bought. They could build a good character like. profile, but they wouldn't know your... Th- like your darkest, deepest thoughts. Well, your thoughts not, any, yeah. not that they're dark, but just, you know, yeah. your yeah. thoughts on most things. Uh, and your I thoughts teach ethics, I've got some pretty dark thoughts. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah. Your <laughs> thoughts might be the only thing that's safe. They've got all that information. They say they won't share it. I'm taking that on trust right now mm-hmm. and on the vague idea that if they did, the government would do something about it. If they could sell it and make a profit, they for sure would. And how do I know they haven't already? Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? And this is, um, it's Tim Foyle hat territory to a degree, but this, it really comes down to that one thing again. If it could be done and there's no consequence for doing it, why the hell wouldn't they? Mm. Right? I'm sure that's how Google Ad- AdWords works. Sure. Just, yeah. Let's just build off your personal profile of everything that you've ever Googled. Yeah. I'll sell you shit. You know, yeah. It's just, it's, it's I don't mind that though. Sometimes, sometimes no, great I. things pop up there. That's, I know. Sure, I'm like, like, I love it. Yeah, I don't want. I don't want a bra and and lingerie pack. Like, don't send me those ads. Yeah, that's send me the shit I like. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, this is the thing, right? Like, the more you data you share, the better the system works. There's no getting around that, right? Yeah, the government's my health thing or whatever it was called. My thought, my health thing mm-hmm. was. There's no question in my mind that that system will save lives. It absolutely will save lives. Having access to all the irrelevant information about a patient universally in every place you go to will save people's lives. And and conversely, not having it will kill people. Mm. People will die that don't need to die. That said, I still completely understand and respect why people don't want to be a part of it. Yeah, definitely. Because after the whole census bullshit and now this, yeah, no, I don't trust the government. Sorry. Mm. Maybe you could do something to demonstrate that I should. 
Earn trust. Earn trust, exactly. And once again, prove it. It's nice to say. You can turn around and say we take the highest standard, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that's nice words. Prove it to me. Let's see some transparency. Let's see some good governance arrangements. Let's see third parties that can regulate you if you screw up. Right now, we don't have it. Mm. Needs to come around. Definitely. Um, do you see your industry growing, like as in the three people that it is now? <laughs> Where would you like to see it go? I would like to see me redundant, honestly. Like the, the ultimate goal with this sort of work is that everyone's got the same capacity that I do to do this sort of stuff. Like at the end of the day, like we talked about those two different ethical frameworks before, deontology, utilitarianism. I don't care which one people use. I care that they know which one they're using and they know why they're doing it. They understand it. I want to be able to sit down with anyone, any punter, I'm talking down the pub. I want to be able to sit down with anyone and them to explain to me, this is how I make decisions and this is why it's a good idea. Not a big ask, you know, because they already do it. Everyone already does this. The real irony of working in ethics is that everyone's an ethicist. Everyone does this all the time. Mm. You make complex decisions all the time. But the thing is, is you don't necessarily know how to explain to me why you're doing what you're doing or what you're doing to achieve that. Having clarity on that approach takes some work. It can be very scary, it, but you know that's part of my job is basically to ease people through that process because if you leave it up to them themselves, it can be actually kind of traumatic. So, yeah, end goal here is that everyone's able to do that, really. Explain to me what you want and how you're doing it and why your approach is going to work. Very good. Um, Gordon, we've got to get you uh, out of here, my friend. Do you have about... Four minutes for some rapid fire questions. Yeah, go for it, man. So, Tommy normally asks, we normally do six from six. Um, My old co host had three questions. I've got three. You got any questions? No. All right, cool. I'll (laughs) run through through my questions and maybe if I can remember one or two of Tommy's, then we'll get you out of here. Sure. Um, So, your favorite travel destination on the planet, favorite place you like to go on holiday and spend some time? Jesus. Um, It's. Been a lot of places. I've got a lot of love for Europe, but I've got to say uh, I like a good hike. I like to get up to Mount Bogong or the Bogong High Plains up in Victoria. Cool. Great Florida. answer. Very I good. think I remember one of Tommy's questions. Could be yours, but yeah. I'm going to steal it. <laughs> if you're on a deserted island, you could take one item. What would it be? Is that correct? Yeah, that was yes. one of my original ones. Except uh, it was three, and I don't ask that anymore, so that's uh, perfect. We'll go with one. Yeah. Uh, satellite phone. <laughs> satellite lame phone. Answer. I know, lame Facebook. answer. No. Facebook's going with you anyway. Yeah, but, exactly. yeah it's exactly the where you are. <laughs> Shit, man, I don't know. Like, um, can I bring a person? It'd be nice to bring another person. <laughs> true. You, you could have Wilson. Yeah, 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 true. You could have a made-up person. Yeah, no, probably... Probably stick with the satellite phone. I hate to say yep. it. Lame as that cool. is, but yeah, there it is. Oh, very lame. <laughs> um, so, and my second question is um, dream travel destination, top of your bucket list place that you haven't been? Probably Iceland, honestly. Ooh. Yeah, it's funny because there's no shortage of places I want to go. I really want to see China, but it's things, it's people and mm-hmm. ideas that I want to see. So much of the US I want to see as well. But in terms of like a specific location, Iceland, no question. Cool. Fantastic. Yeah. I was in Iceland last year. It was unfathomably beautiful. Yeah, fantastic. Really awesome. Uh, um, my last question is any book that you like to recommend can be a graphic novel, can be an autobiography, uh, can be anything. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, the Dictator's Handbook. Check it out. Like, this, this has informed a lot of my thinking as well. It sounds sinister and it slightly is actually. It's about <laughs> why good, why um, so often in politics or governance in general, bad behavior is rewarded. Yep. 
because it often is, and they do an incredibly good job of explaining that. Very, very good job. Thoroughly recommend. Dictator's Handbook. Yeah, cool. Mm. You got any more sneaky ones? No, I can't remember too much. Done and dusted. All right, we've got to get you out of here, Gordon. Where can people find out more about you and what you do? Anything uh, you want to plug? Find me on LinkedIn, uh, just Gordon Young, or you can look me up on uh, online, uh, ethological.com. And, uh, yeah, just check me out. I'm around cool. the place. Cool. Well, Great thanks combo. for coming in. Thanks, fellas. Thanks that for having me. That was interesting. No worries. And Jeez. that's a wrap. Thanks for listening, guys. If you enjoyed that show, you can support us in a number of different ways. One of those ways is you can pledge to our Patreon. That can be found at patreon.com forward slash adventurefit. So if you, um, when you're at Patreon, you can pledge. If this, uh, if this podcast has helped you in any way, you can, you can go ahead and pledge as little as $1 a month all the way up to $25 a month, um, which no one has taken us up on. But uh, yeah, so you can do that. But if you don't want to pledge money, which is totally, totally fine by us, you can do lots of stuff that can help the show out, and that's subscribing. So we're on, uh, obviously, iTunes and, uh, and Stitcher. You can subscribe to Adventure Travel's channel on YouTube, and you can also just share our posts, share our social media, bits and pieces, um, tell a friend, anything, you know, it all really helps. Also, remember, don't forget to check out trueprotein.com.au. Use the code ADVF for 10% off. And also, adventurefittravel.com. Use the code RADIO for 10% off there. Cheers, guys. See you next week.